Welcome to My SoCast Life, the show where we read our real life diaries while rewatching that diary of our souls, My, my So Called life. life. Hey, that actually worked. Yeah, <laughs> Look it. at us. Uh, today is, is a very sad day because this will be our last regular episode of this uh, series because we are covering the last actual episode of My So Called Life. I can't believe we've come to the end. I know. So, goodbye. Tangled up microphone cords. Goodbye, Collins loner headphones. Goodbye, soap dispenser that never has any soap in it. Uh, you know what's funny is where I work, there is actually a soap dispenser that never has any soap in it. And pretty much every time I leave the bathroom, I say goodbye, soap dispenser uh, that <laughs> never has any soap in it. Uh, my name is Matt Brown. And my name is Katerina. And before you get too bereft about losing us, we will take this as our final opportunity to remind you that we have a live episode coming up. This episode will be dropping on October 13th, so you now have nine days <laughs> to get your tickets yep. for my SoCast so Live. You can bid a tearful farewell to this podcast in person. Yeah, and join us and our special guest star, Soraya Roberts, to talk about all of my so-called life. Yeah. And it actually kind of like, so it, when we initially started talking about this, it, it kind of seemed like maybe this episode would fall in the run of our regular episodes. But now that it's the actual last one, I think it's a great opportunity to kind of look at the, because we've done episode by episode, but this will be an opportunity to look at the series as a whole and yeah. kind of what happened with all of our favorite characters. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. And I need to actually make, uh, as we go into this thing, something clear, which is I have never courted the information that is out there about what would have happened in season two really yeah i never i i know this is a bit of a cliffhanger here at the end of, <laughs> of the of the series but i've always been like no the series ended and even though it was kind of an imperfect ending the series is perfect on its own and i don't want to know what might have happened would have happened those kinds of things so i've heard rumors over the years but i really steer clear of that shit like i know that there were scripts that were, you know, written in various stages of completeness, and I don't want to know. I really, I can't, I can't be part of that. Interesting. Yeah. So if someone jumps up at the screen at the live show and like wants to talk to me about what Jordan did next, I'll be upset. That's <laughs> basically what <laughs> take, that comes take down Take that to. as your warning, loyal yes, listeners. <laughs> I will be upset. But you can get tickets for the live show at uh, the Royals website. And also you can follow us on Twitter at MySoCastLife. We will be pretty much doing nothing but publicizing this event for the next uh, several days. So here we are at the day that all of our dreams died. Which is an appropriate uh, thing because this episode is basically just about dreams. And uh, we don't get everybody's, uh, but we get a lot of the cast just, you know, mentioning their dreams as they as we go through the thing. We don't get some people I would have liked to have got, gotten, like Mr. Katimsky. I would love to know what Mr. Katimsky dreamed, dreamed uh, that yeah, night. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, but obviously we open with Angela's dream where she is having a dream about Jordan Catalano and she is trying to catch up with him. And uh, and in that typical dream fashion, she can't, you know, her feet are stuck to the ground. Yeah. The ground is messed up and yeah. she can't get to him. Exactly. Until she eventually does get to him. Yeah. And some, as she says, sometimes her father is there. I love the shot of Jordan and, 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 and Graham, Graham turning in simultaneous <laughs> lockstep. Because, um, yeah, again, great. that's, I mean, I don't know if that echoes what my actual dreams are like, but for everything we know about Freudian psychology, I find that beat pretty wonderful. Um, 
And then we end with 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 Angela screaming at this dream Jordan, screaming silently at this dream Jordan, uh, who, as she says, just stands there like someone caught in a storm who stopped caring about about what he gets. Um, and I thought that was very that that really st- has stuck with me as an image of that kind of not only like in dreams the way that you can kind of fail to make connections that you're yeah. trying to make, but also in real life the way that you know you can see somebody just sort of withdraw into themselves and be like yep this is what's happening i'm just going to take the rain like i'm not going to stand up for myself yeah you know uh yeah so it's neat that we get all of these dream vantage points in this because it it's not something that we it, it is a very interesting way to tie off how far we've come with a lot of these characters. Mm-hmm. It anticipates one of my favorite episodes of Buffy, which I don't know if it was actually directly influenced by this or not, but they're, the fourth season finale of Buffy is it takes place entirely in the main character's dreams. Um, I'm a fourth season gal. I love the fourth season. Oh, really? That yeah. makes you a controversial character in uh, <laughs> Buffy fandom. I, I, there's actually... I also like the fifth season a lot. I'm not... I mean, I like them all. But sure. Oh, well. I really like the fourth season. Yeah. No, I do too. I think the fourth season is actually really good. Yeah. And I don't think it deserves a lot of the flack that it, I feel the same way about six. Six is the one where Buffy goes down the really dark path and, and it's very depressing. And I, I see why that was not fun from a TV perspective at the time, but I'm also like that season has a lot of really interesting things to say about yeah. those characters and, oh, totally and where agree. they went. And maybe we should just do Buffy next. Maybe we'll do Buffy next. I mean, It'll that... take us the next five or six <laughs> years right. of our lives, yeah. and it'll be I, a wonderful show. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I have wonderful things to say about Buffy. Uh, before we get too further down, too, I also want to give it up to uh, W.G. Snuffy Walden, who is great throughout the uh, the series doing the music, but I think just takes it up to 11 in this episode. I think his, his, his writing in this mm-hmm. is incredible incredibly complicated he kind of ties together a lot of the themes that he's been developing over the 19 episodes into i think a very nice musical endpoint uh which mm-hmm. shows a lot of maturity uh that has developed in the characters because as much as some people angela are a little bit still stuck where we found them at the beginning a lot of the <laughs> other characters have genuinely come a long way and yeah we'll, we'll like kind a of really really long, long way. way so we'll definitely get into that as we go as we go through <clears throat> Um, yeah, yeah, it's funny. At the end of this episode, I found myself thinking, like, Angela has just started. <laughs> yes. Like, her journey of breaking out of where she was. And yeah. everyone else is, like, 20 steps ahead of her. Yeah, exactly. I think Angela... You know, it's funny. There's that episode with Mr. Racine where she writes the poem about waking up and her gingerbread house blowing away and all those things. I think this is the episode where it actually happens. Yeah. You know, like this is where she sort of realizes that she's been living a little bit in a fantasy for the the, the year. Yeah. And and that there's a real life out there that might be more interesting even if it's a little more aggravating. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think that would be the way she'd put it. <laughs> so uh, meanwhile, when Angela starts talking about her dreams, Patty mentions that she dreamed about, about Tony Poole. And we will see a little bit of that later, but for right now in the kitchen, nobody wants to hear about it because she's mom and no one ever wants to hear about what moms dream about, I guess. <laughs> and meanwhile, Delia, the only, I think, secondary character we get a little dream reference for, uh, dreamed about Ricky. Yeah. Dreamed that they were just dancing in a big vegetable garden. Um, what's weird is that when... So this is how Delia, I guess, kind of realizes that she has a crush on Ricky. Yeah. And Sharon, who has spent a good amount of time with Ricky Vasquez, proclaims to know nothing about him. 
when she asks like what's going on with Ricky Vasquez. Yeah, like is Sharon afraid to crush Delia's dreams by being like that guy is obviously gay? Yeah. Or is she trying to protect what she imagines to be Ricky's privacy by not mentioning it because he's not openly out? Yeah. Or does she really has she really paid that little attention to Ricky? To Ricky, like <laughs> over the course of the year. Because the truth is, I cannot recall a Sharon and Ricky scene. I may be wrong. I think you're right. I think that there's, if there are any, they are f- brief and fleeting. Yeah, like, I don't think that there are any substantial scenes where the two right. of them interact one on one. So maybe she really doesn't know very much about Ricky, other than that he's just the, that guy who wears eyeliner and hangs out with Rand Graf. Graf. Yeah, who in this scene she once again averse she does not she's not friends with rayanne yeah um so maybe the rayanne factor in her life has sort of been so blazingly bright that she has not <laughs> been able to see little ricky uh standing in rayanne's shadow because we're we're definitely coming up to the point where later in this episode they may have to admit that they're friends um it's worth pointing out that this is one of the few episodes directed by a woman um elodie Keane. yeah and obviously also written by by winnie holtzman uh who created the series so uh winnie holtzman a goddess a goddess an actual goddess um and so we're gonna we're gonna kind of continue the it's funny we're gonna continue the storyline of graham hallie and patty although Again, in my jarringly imperfect memory of this, it doesn't actually go as far as I thought it did. Yeah, like, spoiler alert, they don't kiss. They don't kiss. In my memory, they did kiss. Me too, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) Like, I thought the season ended with Graham choosing... To uh, cross the line. To cross the line with Hallie, and and it doesn't. So once again, I don't want to know about season two, and we kind of return to my kind of Pollyanna-ish... Uh, feelings about Graham from the premiere, which uh, listeners, if you go back to that episode, you'll remember I didn't quite lock on to the fact that Graham might be having an affair. And here <laughs> he actually isn't having an affair. Like, yeah, he actually sort of like, even though he seems to be going down the path, he actively chooses not to cross the line, at least for this one day. Right. Uh, good for him. Yeah. Good for you, Graham. That's uh, very nice. So the money guys behind the ref, the restaurant are, are waffling and that's basically going to be their plot line through this is that, that Graham and Hallie have to deal with that. And Patty, um, in the guise of trying to be helpful, says she's going to look up Tony Poole that she used to date in high school because he went into the restaurant business at some point. But it, it, she's not, she will not re- reveal anything helpful by this. She's really just <laughs> had a dream about this guy and kind of wants to see what, in the years before Facebook, gentle listeners you'd actually have to like track somebody <laughs> down phone them up and be like you want to go get a cup of coffee if you wanted to find out what was going on what with a life. nightmare right it's weird <laughs> terrible <laughs> it sounds terrible um i had a dream when i was in high school that i still vividly remember that it was that was like a kind of vaguely sexual dream but not really like in a in a sort of relatively innocent way it was about a boy who went to my school who i had never had any interaction with personally but he was a drama major i think he was maybe a year younger than me or something like that he wasn't in my grade anyway um so i'd seen him in some school shows because he was in the drama program um so i knew who he was and i never had a conversation with him like before or after the dream but for several weeks after the dream i like entertained the possibility of having a crush on him but i didn't 
like it just didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is like actually a stranger. Like it was even he was even more of a stranger than like Jordan Catalano is to Angela at the beginning of the show. Like he was just literally someone that I never had thought about even for a second before the dream. The dream was completely random. Right. And uh, anyway, that guy's now like an actor on like television. Oh, wow. <laughs> like I see him regularly and I think, oh, that's hilarious. I had that dream when I was like 16. That's amazing. <laughs> Do you think that perhaps you were the victim of Inception? You think somebody was trying to get you to move down a certain path, so they, <laughs> so they hacked your dreams and tried to get it. No, that's actually happened to me as well. I can't remember specifically who it was um, off the top of my head, but I do know that I did in high school have a dream that led to a crush. You know, like I didn't. I feel like that's like a completely plausible thing yeah. to have happen to you when yep. you're a teen. Yeah, and also I can't believe I didn't think of this uh, until now. Weirdly enough. Maybe no, I doubt it's because of watching this episode this week. I think it's just because of the, that's what's been going on in my brain this week. I've had two nightmares about an ex. Whoa! Yeah, neither of which where I was trying to yell at them and they weren't hearing it, but very kind of convoluted, <laughs> bad dreams about an ex girlfriend. Um, both dreams about the same ex. Yeah, oh, interesting. Yeah, huh. and both kind of involving weird sneaking, like. <laughs> It's hard to explain because you know what? We're not going to explain dreams on this podcast. Explaining dreams sucks. But in both <laughs> cases, it was like it was very a very elaborate metaphorical look at how I felt felt about those relationships. It's very odd that that happened this week when we're coming to do this show, and of course, talking about it now, I just suddenly remember that's what happened. Um, it, I think it's Angela that says it's weird when you see someone you've just dreamed about. Mm-hmm. It's very odd. Um, I've had dreams about you, but not this week that I can recall. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, we're in class and Jordan is eyeing Angela, but Angela isn't, isn't looking at him. Um, which is interesting cause it's basically the visual audio flip of the dream. Like in the dream, Angela's yelling and Jordan can't hear her. And in real life, Jordan's looking and Angela is not looking back. Um, and he tries to talk to her in the weirdest possible way. Yeah, in in a way that seems extremely Jordan-like. Yeah. Jordan-esque. Yeah. uh, Because he just just sort of starts telling her random banal updates about his life. Yeah. He goes through like a newsletter of what's been going on for the last few days. His band is back together, but now they're called... (laughs) What are they called? Residue. Residue, that's it. Um, Yeah, and it's just like... It's just sort of like meaningless details like facts of the past of the recent past yeah uh that clearly she doesn't want to hear because she is Is, angry with him and expects an apology or something to precede any kind of going back to normal friendship which is like normal very very normal Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh jordan's you know well what's taking baby steps toward normal human interaction absolutely like you and know, he's trying. <laughs> he is trying. And I think he actually, on the whole, does fairly well in this episode. But it is weird that later on, when he's talking to Brain, <laughs> he, <laughs> he says that he was trying to tell her that he was sorry. Yeah. And I was like, did you forget that part when you were actually doing it? Like, were you working up to that? Like, it's such a bizarre... It's It's because he doesn't realize that what you have to do when you're trying to say sorry to someone is actually just say that you're sorry. Yeah. Well, he's a rudimentary reader with low literacy skills, so that happened. Apparently, Brian has been using the phonics manual, hooked on phonics, adorable to help uh, Jordan through his his problems. I, I think that this is like actually a larger, uh, like I think that this applies to people who are far less dumb than Jordan. I think 
a lot of people in life attempt to apologize by not really apologizing, Mm -hmm. but, but just by kind of trying to go back to the way things used to be and trying to be like extra nice or extra friendly or extra, uh, you know, whatever to make yeah, things certainly feel normal instead of just saying like, Hey, I'm really sorry about that terrible thing when I did, Yeah, which I understand th- that impulse because it is difficult to say that you're sorry. And it, it's always uncomfortable to admit that you did something wrong. But it's actually so much easier to just say that you're sorry mm-hmm. than it is to go through the elaborate kind of scheming to try <laughs> to put things back to where they were, even though the other person that you're dealing with is clearly expecting an apology. Mm-hmm. I, f- I also feel that this strongly applies to uh, professional contexts. When something gets messed up at work, yeah, just saying, hey, I'm sorry, I'll try to make sure that doesn't happen again works approximately a thousand times better at placating any boss in any context than explanations do. Like nobody cares why it happened or that it wasn't your fault. Mm. If you just say like, Hey, I'm sorry, I'll try to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Even if it's not actually your fault, it makes it seem like you're accepting responsibility and ownership for the Mm -hmm. thing, the work, and it makes everyone feel better. And it's like the surefire way to make bosses love you i wish it was that surefire but i agree with you in general (laughs) (laughs) um so let's talk about uh sharon chersky goddess of light who calls angela chase face which i think is the actual cutest it really is observing that angela is shaking after her interaction with jordan uh then brian comes after her and is asking about delia fisher i guess because i mean fuck i don't even know why i mean maybe sort of sort of some of the same thing like he knows he did delia wrong he, he hasn't really apologized. Would like to apologize yeah. if he's not interested in dating her. He at least feels bad and probably wants to say sorry, but yeah. doesn't know how. Then so instead he's like, like you said, he's papering over it with with positive behavior and trying to be normal, which yeah. for Brian is just bizarre. <laughs> um, and so Sharon tells uh, him that he's got a crush. Tells him that she's got a crush on Ricky. Delia has a crush on. Boy, I use too many indefinite pronouns in that sentence. Sharon tells Brian that Delia has a crush on Ricky. Um, Sharon also reveals that she had a dream in which she and Rayanne were performing in a charity water ballet together, which is adorable. That is adorable. And also ties together several uh actual Sharon Rayanne things where they they did that charity phone answer thing and That's right, you know the, the water ballet line. frame seems very Sharon to me. It uh, does. Like the Patty Duke show. So uh yeah. Um little sidebar here because now Mr. Katimsky does the weirdest, most lovable thing that he does in the whole show. And I, I think me and my sister still quote it to each other, which is the he's trying to get Angela to sell tickets to our town. And he he just says, it's only 30 measly tickets. And Angela relents. And then he goes, ha, 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 and, and kind of dances around. And I me, I swear to God, me and my sister, I, when I watched this episode, I sent her a video of him doing that <laughs> as I came past it. Um, it's just, he's such a bizarre man. And I love him. He's I the love, best. I love him so much. And I love the way that Angela is just like, he just wears me down. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. yeah that's his strategy. Yeah. He's going to wear you all down into being better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think we've all had a teacher like, that who's just sort of unbridled i don't give a shit about your teen <laughs> sullenness enthusiasm is going to keep coming until you agree to do whatever the thing is 
Um, so this is hilarious. Delia tries to talk to Ricky, and Brian just sh- sh- goes right in there and starts basically cock-blocking Ricky. Not that that has anything to do with anything, because Ricky's gay, and it doesn't matter. But I, I thought it was funny how Brian just jumps into the conversation <laughs> to be an yeah. intermediary for them. Very Brian moment of thinking that he's more important in that situation than he is. Extremely Brian moment. Yeah, and then he tells Ricky that Delia, and I quote, has it for him. Which isn't an expression. No. And he (laughs) realizes shortly that that may be the case, but can't take it back. (laughs) So we go home and Patty is talking to Tony Poole on the phone. And we now have a term for what's happening here. And that term is vocal fry. She's like, Tony, (laughs) I need your advice. (laughs) Stuff like that. And Danielle and Angela are watching aghast, and they immediately interrogate her about what the hell was going on on that phone call, as one would when one hears one mo- one's mother flirting in a ridiculous <laughs> Kathleen Turner impression on a telephone. Oh, my God, the best. <laughs> it's so good. So then, we, so then they're going to actually have a talk, and Patty's going to tell us about her dream. And we learned that not only was it a dream about Princess Diana, but that there have apparently been several of these dreams about Princess Diana. It's like one of my favorite facts about Patty, Patty. (laughs) that she dreams about Princess Diana. I think, you know, Patty... (laughs) On the regular. In in terms of of the 90s um, uh, coming back to haunt us, Patty can kind of be defined by really her relationship with two public figures. One of them is Princess Diana, but the other is, is Hillary Clinton who, you know, was the first lady at the time and, yeah. and plays a fairly her her relationship with power and with her husband and how the White House was run in the nineties um was impacting pop culture in terms of women's roles and that kind of plays out in the first half of the season with how Patty is seen and trying to be seen. It's it's funny that that now as we record this Hillary's back and and we're yeah. we're going through the whole thing again. I wonder what Patty would say about Hillary's presidential run and and how things have gone in the last 20 years since this episode came out. But in the dream we have the other person who is Princess Diana who of course, you know, died tragically like 2 years after this episode uh aired um but is another person who is kind of a very visible public female uh who has been put in a specific role and i guess at the time this episode was being made was the the divorce was in process in progress like was a thing that was happening because she's lamenting that princesses don't get divorced and that's not you know a thing which given the the subtext that have gone through the whole show about uh, princesses and patty being rapunzel having the princess shattered princess statue on her dresser and all those things it's like when i think about it i'm i don't quote me on this listeners because i haven't googled it but i feel like hillary hillary clinton also around this time cut her hair short it's certainly possible the way that patty did yeah i feel like there was like a mid early to mid 90s like suddenly sassy haircut yeah and i mean obviously as you know i I, one of the other things that's been going on in 2016 as we've been recording these is we've been as a culture massively revisiting the O.J. Simpson case and 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 yeah. seeing Marsha Clark in a very different light, I think for probably the first time, um, so true compared to how she was painted when we were growing up, and and uh, you know obviously a big haircut controversy there. So it's it's weird <laughs> yeah. that that I mean it, it's 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 abhorrent really to look back and realize that hair was and still is 
the such a huge component of the conversation around these very intelligent, very important public female figures. Yeah. And yet still was, still is, you know, it's it's nuts. Um, so Tony Poole is someone that she knew long, long ago, like in a fairy tale. Again, we're kind of digging into Patty's weird fairy tale thing. It's weird. Like we, I think we talked about it last week or the week before where it's like Patty really has this paradox at the heart of herself where she does have these nested traditional female values and, and metaphors inside herself like princesses, like fairy tales. But in the real world, she's the alpha of this family and wants to be. Yeah. But also wants to not be. And that's killing her. <laughs> so so now she's dreaming about this this wild guy that she uh that she used to date. Who is obviously her Jordan Catalano. Her Jordan Catalano, yeah. Um, who we didn't know she had. Yeah, exactly. So she says that it's always tempting to lose yourself in someone who may have lost themselves, but that eventually you want reality. And of course, because this is drama, at that moment. Graham Chase walks through the door because he's reality. <laughs> and I think, you know, awkwardly or not, what the episode ultimately will be trying to say is that Brian is potentially the reality partner for Angela. Yeah, I think Brian is like... Or could be someday. Yeah, I think Brian is like, not maybe not Brian personally, but a Brian type is like what Angela ends up marrying. Right. You know, 15 years later. Yeah, exactly. Um, so now Sharon's feeling out Angela about Ricky and whether or not he ever dates girls. I'd also point out that for, I just noticed this, Angela's wearing the green mohair sweater, the cursed haunted green mohair sweater from Halloween. I was like, <laughs> I wonder if she kept having uh, a Nikki Driscoll flashbacks every time she put that on or if it was just the one time. <laughs> that only happens on Halloween. She's like, I'm feeling a bit lonely today, so I'm going to wear my green mohair sweater and have uh, imaginary conversations with Nikki Driscoll. <laughs> I don't know. My new friend. <laughs> Um, and so, so Brian and meanwhile is trying to coach Jordan on how to talk to Angela and he's apparently given him some feedback already that comes from his parents, but Jordan, but Brian's like, dude, you can't go by, by my parents. They're psychiatrists. Um, so he's trying to coach Jordan on how to apologize to Angela. And I think based on where the episode goes, we should be asking the question, what is Brian up? How much of Brian, Brian's feelings is he injecting at this point? Is there something he's trying to apologize to Angela for vicariously, or is he just straight coaching Jordan right now? I think at this point he's coaching Jordan and also maybe wants to apologize still to Delia Fisher. Maybe. Yeah, that's actually, that could be it. And then at a certain point it makes the switch. Right. Like by the time they're writing the letter, yeah, uh, he's all in on Angela as the subject of the letter. But uh, I think early on, he's sort of imagining how one might apologize in the way that he knows he should apologize to Delia. Mm -hmm. um, but he's not going to apologize to her. He's going to instead give Jordan hot tips on how to apologize to Angela. Right. Um, which he is both reluctant and very eager to help with. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like he insinuates himself into this immediately where it's like, he knows it's wrong. Like yeah. we should give him that. You know, he knows he shouldn't do this. Yeah. But, Basically, at each point, he cannot help but try to be involved because ultimately it's Angela. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the only, funnily enough, the only note I wrote for the scene where Jordan actually apologizes to Angela is, yeah, how well was this ever going to work out, guys? You know, <laughs> Brian's behind the door and Jordan kind of stumbles through a very paraphrased version of his lines. And then when Angela responds, which 
one would, I hope, have expected her to do, he's got no answer because he's got no script. And he just bolts. <laughs> yeah, is... she's like, great, now we can talk. And yeah, he's, he's like, like uh, uh, bye. <laughs> we talked. See ya. This was the talking part. So again, dear, sweet Jordan, who, it's funny, I, I, I think listeners may recall, when we started this show, I really didn't like Jordan. I talked a lot about how much I disliked Jordan. <laughs> Jordan has really become a very tender subject for me, where it's like, uh, the poor, he just, he just doesn't know. He really doesn't know. He really doesn't, and he kind of is innocent in a way. Yeah. Like, he he's just learning how to interact with other humans and have relationships yeah. for the first time. Yeah. So everything is sort of new to him, yeah. and he just doesn't... He just doesn't know. And it's really funny to break the psychology down into the point where he kind of thought apologizing to Angela was like a checkbox, that if he checked it correctly, things would just go back to normal, right? Yeah. Like it didn't occur to him that that might be a multi-step process or, and this is the funny part, it didn't occur to him that by getting somebody to ghostwrite him some lines, he would reveal the appearance of depth that <laughs> is what Angela has been waiting for since <laughs> the day she saw him leaning on that locker. Yeah. Like he's now in this very weird Cyrano setting, role-playing the Jordan Angela always wanted. That's right. Without knowing it. Yeah, totally yeah. without knowing it and without being able to back it up because it's not actually him. Yeah, it, absolutely, exactly. So it, it is, it's a very fascinating turn in this episode to have Angela, uh, to have Jordan evolve into exactly what Angela thought he was, but do it through total falsehood. So back in tutoring now, you know, realizing that he's got a problem, Jordan's like, you got to write it all. Again, I don't know why he thinks this is a solution, but he's like, you got to write it all down so that I can't screw it up. He thinks the problem is that he just screwed it up. Not that, again, by betraying these hidden depths, he might need to continue to display <laughs> those hidden depths. Like he's starting, basically, he's starting a conversation that he can't, can't finish. So Brian admits that he's done this to Ricky, and Ricky points out, quite obviously, that they are... That well, Brian says that Jordan's using me, but Ricky's like, yeah, but you're using him too, um, and and maybe for the first time in human history, Brian Krakow immediately admits the truth, which is he agrees. He's like, oh my God, you're right. I am using Jordan to admit my true feelings to Angela. He doesn't try to cover it even for a second. We've yeah. never seen him do that, ever. Ever. So finally. Possibly because he's finally got a male friend that he could actually treat as a peer. But finally, Brian is starting to open up to other human beings. Bless. Uh, <laughs> dear and, sweet Brian. Yeah, dear sweet Brian. And then Ricky, meanwhile, is trying to process this idea of Delia having a crush on him and, and asks, you know, the one of the most painful lines, I think, in all of television, which is, do you know how much easier my life would be if I could just like her back? Yep. Yep. It could be his chance to be straight. Mm. Yeah, which, you know, if this show had gone on longer, they could have done that that beard scenario with Ricky and, and seen what... You see Ricky try to be somebody that he's not. Yeah. Just for the sake of passing. It's sweet how he's flattered. Like, it's sweet that he's flattered by her crush on him um, because he just doesn't... Like, he doesn't know what it feels like to yeah. have that kind of a normal, like, oh, someone has a crush on me. I mean, granted, like, 
it's relatively foreign for Brian too, mm-hmm. uh, to have just that kind of normal feeling of like, Oh, somebody likes me. How nice. Yeah. Um, but like for Ricky, it's especially fraught. And so it's kind of like, he's kind of like, Oh yeah. <laughs> like he's bolstered by it, even though it's kind of a painful and impossible situation. Cause right. obviously he doesn't, he's not attracted to her and, uh, you know, nothing's going to happen, but, but it's still nice. It's mm-hmm. nice to know that somebody thinks he's so great. <laughs> right. Exactly. It must be a completely foreign sensation for him. Yeah. Um, to have that. So, you know, after great debate internally, uh, Brian writes the fucking letter. And yeah, I was talking about the score earlier, but like, you know, we go into full, like this, if, if I need to be transported back to what it was like to be 19 in my final year of high school, about to go off to university, all that stuff, I just need to watch the scene where Brian writes the letter because that that it, the music there has all of it. Um, it's beautifully overwrought with the stuff like "I hate this pen I'm holding because I should be holding you." Yeah, like I don't know what's going on with Brian. <laughs> Wayne, that's very out there, Mister. Um, but I, I do. It's I, romantic. It is romantic, but it's like it's also. I mean, let's leave aside the fact whether or not he's actually capturing Jordan Catalano's voice because clearly he's not. Yeah, he's also nothing to do with Jordan Catalano's voice. (laughs) But also for Brian's voice, that is way the fuck out there in terms of positive action, declarative action towards Angela, like saying very specific things that he would like to be doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that even during the writing of the letter, he's still not fully aware of the extent to which he is writing his own feelings Mm -hmm. about Angela. Like, yeah, like in a literal way. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I kind of I recognize that a little bit because, I mean, I think one of the things that was true when I was this age and and starting to write fiction was you write fiction and start injecting elements of how you actually feel, but within the narrative of the fiction. And it does help you work some of those things out and, and, and be honest in ways that maybe you couldn't in real life, but it is still within the framework of the fiction. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what he's kind of doing here. But I think, you know, I think, I mean, surprise, surprise guys. I think this episode is amazing, but of all of the things in it that are just, they just resound on level after level after level, nothing for me more than finishing this letter and hearing in Brian's voice, sincerely Jordan Catalano. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like it's 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 the tying together of so many things that have been happening for the last 19 episodes. It is just an incredibly uh momentous thing that happens right there. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So it's the next day and Brian is checking up with Angela on the bus because he wants to figure out if she actually liked the letter. Yeah, and he's checking in on it in a hilarious way yeah it's like inappropriate yeah he's like so you seem like happy or whatever <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know like he couldn't possibly know to ask these questions unless he'd been involved but he kind of can't help himself yeah or yeah. even when he's like did you have like a favorite part yeah <laughs> of the letter yeah <laughs> it's not uh yeah, no not, not, not reasonable questions uh yeah. there brian but uh but she doesn't catch on. She's, no, because she's, she's off in Angela oblivious. land now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's yeah. completely in yeah. her own world, and she's delighted by the letter. But uh, clearly, yeah, things are gonna these things are gonna fall apart. These yeah, are, these are just more lies that the characters are telling themselves. Right. Well, I mean, so that, <laughs> that eventually have to be undone. Yeah, and and so I said that it was you know from the Jordan side of things, it's funny that he 
accidentally and falsely evolved into kind of what Angela always wanted. But from the Angela side of things, I think it's also worth pointing out that she kind of at this point gets what she deserves, right? Mm -hmm. She's been so convinced that there's this false character out there of Jordan Catalano that now that through whatever means it has been falsely constructed into something that she thinks is real and is right in front of her, the fact that it is fake is kind of what she's earned by all of her decisions up till now. Completely. You know? It's like, well, you wanted it. Yeah, you wanted Here this. Here it is. <laughs> you didn't want to observe the reality of this guy. You've been trying so hard to create this fantasy. Here it is. And yeah, it's totally and it's a fake. fantasy. It's a total fake. <laughs> um, so he goes to Jordan, and we don't actually get Jordan telling us about a specific dream, but we do have him mentioning that he has dreams where he knows what to say and that she forgives him. Yeah. Um, which I think is one of the, not not only a really nice moment, it's one of those few moments where I think we really hear Jordan speak from the heart. You know, he's like almost taken aback by Angela's liking the letter so much. Mm -hmm. And I think he also understands that he's he has made a mistake, which is that he's achieved the goal, but totally. he's done it through means that are not, he, he shouldn't feel good about. Um, and, and Brian watches them kiss and his heart breaks and, and so, so do all of ours, which leads to yet another one of the great, my so-called lifelines. Uh, she's still going to die today. We're all going to die. <laughs> and he goes on to say that if you analyze why certain people end up with other certain people, it will make you want to kill yourself, which is very high school. It is. You know, can you remember being in high school, trying to figure out why a certain couple of people hooked up and just being like you can't actually create the narrative in your head you can't figure it out and it drives you insane yeah or like in my case i i spent many an hour obsessing over why certain people were suddenly friends with each other yeah or like why is that girl part of that friend group now when right like two years ago you know she couldn't have she would never would have hung out with those people or whatever like those those kinds of <laughs> yeah. things were Definitely preoccupations of mine. <laughs> <laughs> How did these things happen? Yeah. So we get Sharon and Rayanne in the bathroom, and it is, I believe, their last scene. It's funny. Every time I watch this episode, I do have this kind of like, you know, goodnight John boy moment where it's like, as we come <laughs> up on everyone's last scenes, I'm like, oh my God, that's the last time I'm ever going to see them. So Rayanne is complaining that she has no friends, and Sharon gets real with her and tells her, A, I'm your friend. <laughs> and then when Rayanne, again, very forthrightly admits that she fucked up, right? Sharon's like, yeah. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you sure did. Yep. Of course, she says, duh squared. Duh squared. So let's give a standing ovation for Sharon Chersky, by, played by Devin Odessa, who uh, I believe is is out as of this moment and has been, I don't know about you, but my revelation <laughs> watching, rewatching the show this time, I'm just like, well, you're the best. Yep. I wish you were my friend. <laughs> um, and we right after this, we also get the last time we'll see Patty and Graham together. The Graham's on his way out to cook for the money guys. Um, and uh, Angela and Ricky are talking, and Ricky reveals the truth about the letter, um, which Angela immediately plays off. Oh yeah, I knew I knew Brian. Who Brian? She refers to earlier as Brian Krakow, the reason for all pain, <laughs> which I quite like. Um, but now. Oh, there was something that I meant to mention earlier about the uh, Graham cooking for the money guys, which is the same night that uh, Patty's supposed to be getting together with, with Tony Poole. Yeah, Tony Poole. Mm -hmm. um, there's a scene earlier on where they're discussing the dinner with the money guys, and Hallie Lowenthal asks Graham whether Patty will be coming. Yep. And he says, "No, that would make him more nervous, and also she's got this guy coming over and whatever." Yeah. 
But he never asked her. He never invited her. When she told him that Tony Poole was mm-hmm. invited to come over, he was like, oh, but I won't be there. Yeah. I'm going to be cooking for the money guys. Right. So did he not invite Patty because she would make him more nervous? Or did he not invite Patty because he's at that point undecided slash uh, one step toward the affair that he later maybe gets cold feet about? That's funny. I read it more like Patty knew the date that the thing was happening and forgot when she made her plans with Tony Poole. And when she told Graham that Tony Poole was coming over, Graham was like, internally anyway, that's probably better anyway. I think it's kind of sweet that Graham admits that he'd be too nervous if Patty was there. Mm. That like, at the end of the day, he does, you know, he really respects and admires his wife and wants her to think that he's great. And that's part of his problem through this whole series has been maybe not feeling that that validation is forthcoming as often as he'd like it true true especially given that he's doing something weird here so you think he did invite her i think that they they all knew the plan in terms of the money (laughs) guys but i don't i mean you're right they could be read either way the other thing about that scene that i think is quite nice but also potentially indicative of trouble i really like the thing where hallie coaches graham to pretend to be jealous yeah i love that moment like i think that's a good insight yeah, that, totally. You know, like, there's nothing wrong with... he was like, we don't play those games. And she's like, that's not a game. That's being yeah, know, nice. It's that's being considerate. Reminding your wife that... You like, know, you care. You care. And that <laughs> yeah. this is... You, you're thinking about this. Totally. You know, yeah. And, yeah. So I think that that's good, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, Hallie. Nicer than we remember her. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> in this episode, particularly, she yeah. gives good advice and doesn't kiss Graham. So... Totally. Cool. Um, so Ricky tries to ask Delia out. And that doesn't work out because Delia calls him on it and asks him if he's actually gay. And, of course, he finally admits, which, as I recall, for for TV in 95, this was still a pretty big deal to have a a male teen character say, yeah, I'm gay. Yeah, totally a big deal. I don't think this was something that had happened on many programs. If any, I mean, listeners can maybe correct me. This might actually be the first person who has outed himself on television um or it might have been like you know in the first five it was certainly a very very new thing yeah it it was like i think unheard of yeah i mean at least i don't think that i had seen it and i think that the more notable um examples like i i actually did end up looking up um when ellen came out on her show because we talked about it um in another episode, yeah, like I was yeah. like, oh, when was that? Like, when did that happen? I don't remember. And it was like 96 or 97. Yeah. It was several years after this. And like other shows that uh, had like, what are even some other shows that had openly gay characters? Like, po- like Ellen was sort of the first in that, uh, in, in sort of like the notable popular cult. Like it was discussed mm-hmm. in... It was well, like she, a newsworthy yeah. event, she right? She was on the cover of Time for it. Exactly. Ricky was not. You know, and then yeah. there was like, I don't know, Will and Grace, like late 90s. Yeah. You know, a show about an actual like gay man as the main character. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm pretty sure that Ricky was actually the first. Yeah, he may I mean, have if been. someone has an example, I'd actually be really curious to hear yeah. what other examples there might be. There there may have been character... Like yeah. if there, there may have been like a supporting character on L.A. Law that I can't remember, you know? Like I, I also thought of L.A. LA Law. Law. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, also, we do need to think in terms of, I mean, this is another flashback for the Facebook generation. There was a time when the 
kind of content you would get would vary wildly by hour, right? So my so-called life is yeah. on at eight o'clock on Thursday nights. That's very different from LA Law, which was on at 10 o'clock on Thursday nights in terms of what For sort sure. of quote unquote adult content you could have on the show. And I, oh, yeah. I grew up in an era when uh, anything but heterosexuality was considered adult content. Yeah, Kids can't know about this. <laughs> this is something that only adults can know about. Yeah. Um, so let's give a big standing ovation also to to Ricky Vasquez and oh. to Wilson Cruz who plays him because uh, one of the absolute highlights of the whole series for sure. So wonderful. And let's also give a, a hand to Delia Fisher right here who appear apparently and in a mains that is maybe more mature than many of the characters on the show, she's capable of having a big happy crush on a guy that she knows she's not going to be with. Yeah. That she's fine with it. She's just like, I, yeah, I just have a crush on you. I don't care that I'm not going to get to date you. It's just... It makes me happy. You're a good dancer. I think you're neat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like she has no she has no ambition about it. There's no outcome that she needs to validate these feelings. Totally. Which is very, very mature. It is. Yeah. So back at the ranch, back at Casa Chase, uh, Patty's all ready to open the door to her teenage crush. And who's there? Her daughter's teenage crush. Uh, that's right, Jordan Catalano. So in case we were wondering about t whether Tony Poole and Jordan Catalano are meant to be the same person in this narrative, The answer are. is yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Patty serves him some milk and gets the whole story. So adorable. It is very because adorable. all of the wayward kids end up opening up to Patty. Yes, like absolutely. Rayanne, Ricky, yeah. Jordan. Yeah. They uh, Patty is everyone's mom except Angela's. Except Angela's. <laughs> Angela's the only one. Eternal pain. <laughs> it's yeah. It really reinforces uh, I mean, uh, Patty's validity as a character, like that she really is a mature, intelligent, you know, and absolutely like worthwhile, nurturing person. person. And just Angela's got this thing up her ass about it and can't do it right now, which is normal, right? Like that's normal for teenagers. They, that's absolutely absolutely what happens. It's also, I think, really interesting that I mean, we don't see the conversation, which kind of mm -hmm. bugs me. But I have to assume that Jordan basically is is straight with Patty in a way that he's not capable of being with Angela. Yes. Like, he tells Patty the whole story of what happened. Yeah, and Patty, like, forgives him, basically, yeah. on Angela's behalf, yeah. in a way. Like, Patty's like, you didn't mean to hurt her, yeah. is what it sounds like. Yeah. And that's true. He really didn't mean to hurt her. He's just sort of too dumb to know how to behave and yeah. also like too inexperienced in actual relationships to understand how serious the repercussions can be of one stupid decision. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's he, he basically unburdens himself to Patty in the way that he can only do to Angela in his dreams. Yeah. And, 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 and something that definitely makes it weird is I cannot imagine why Jordan would feel like he could trust apparent at all i mean i have no problem with the scene it's very sweet but it i can you imagine like at that age meeting one of your friend's parents and being like so here's the worst thing i ever did <laughs> to your child <laughs> to your child yeah yeah, yeah. i cannot it's imagine really that. Weird. that that is really weird yeah i love the little moment where he uses the word ironic correctly in a sentence sort of by accident yeah, but it impresses Patty nonetheless. I think that's very, <laughs> very sweet. And then, and then there's a there's a phone call from Graham and Pat, and we got our last ever reference to Tino, which is that if that's a guy named Tino, I'm not here. <laughs> which I, think I is also loved the earlier reference to Tino when uh, 
Rayanne is talking about how she doesn't have any friends and she lists them all. And then she lists Tino and is like, he's unreliable. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yes. Uh, yes, he, he is. is. That's right. And I like the fact that in this scene, it, you know, we see that the Tino game is maybe a two-way game where, yeah, Tino's never around. But when people, when Tino calls Jordan, Jordan pretends he ain't around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we've already talked about the Graham and Hallie outcome a little bit, um, which is this will be their final scene. So again, but I'll, I'll just reiterate, nothing actually happens. Something almost happens and Graham backs off and Hallie backs off. And I'm going to choose to believe, therefore, that this means Graham learned his goddamn lesson <laughs> at the start of the season and will never cheat and everything will be fine. Because why not? Yeah. It's, it's my story and I'm sticking that. to it. Yeah, let's believe it. It's a nice, it's a nice thing to believe. Yeah. So now we get to the actual uh, very end. So Angela comes home uh, from Katemski's to find uh, Red waiting out front and uh, of her house, but also Brian tooling around on his bike. As he is wont to do. Yeah, so it's kind of the inverse of the climax of the first episode, because basically Angela now is dressed as herself, while Brian, meanwhile, is pretending to be somebody else. Or yeah, Jordan is pretending to be somebody nice. else. Yeah, exactly. Right? So Angela naturally uh, quizzes Brian about the truth of this crazy uh, story and uh, quite foolishly, I might add, accidentally blurts out that he meant every word in the letter when Angela says it was fake. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you, you screwed yourself there, kid, if you're trying to keep it secret. But was he really? Was he really trying, to, he keep really it trying to keep secret? it secret? And then I think we have maybe the actual sweetest Brian moment of all time, which is... Uh, he asks her if he, the letter if she liked it and if it made her happy because that's all that matters yeah and and he's never shown that that was something that he wanted right like even as, as much as it's been difficult for him throughout the whole series to admit that he wanted to be with Angela in any way yeah he, the idea that he wanted anyone else's happiness has never really come up that's true. He doesn't talk about other people's feelings. He doesn't even really talk about his own. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, even earlier in this episode when he's talking to Ricky and Ricky's yeah. like, you're using Jordan to say what you really feel about Angela. Brian seems like shocked Yeah. by this revelation, which should be obvious to him because of course that's how he feels about Angela. He does on some level completely know that, but mm -hmm. he's still actually in denial of those feelings yeah. on, on another level. Yeah. So now we have two very confused people, Brian and Angela, and we have Jordan, who is not confused about anything, uh, <laughs> who comes out, and, and Angela gets in the car, and they drive away, Angela looking at Brian as they drive away, and, and the last shot of the series is actually Brian alone on his bike in front of the house, um, and that's that. It is really sad. Do you, do you remember the, the how you felt when, when it all came crashing down? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I definitely sad and definitely like full of questions about where it would all go next. I mean, I knew it wasn't going anywhere next, but I just kind of couldn't help but imagine, you know, what it would be like for Angela to interact with Brian after that. And, and would she stay with Jordan and would the veil of fantasy be lifted from her eyes when she mm -hmm. looked at Jordan and would she even still like him in the same way once she 
was forced to face the fact that he's not the person that she had um, built him up to be. Yeah. Um, and how long would she hang on to the theory or the fantasy that, that yeah. he is still under, even if Brian involved himself here, uh, maybe maybe the Jordan I want is still in there somewhere. Yeah. You know, like how long would she have hung on to that? Yeah, exactly. How long would she have hung on to that? And would she be capable of returning Brian's feelings? Or yeah. would that just be like actually too weird, like yeah. too much for her to contemplate? Well, I mean, based on my own experiences, I think Angela and Brian couldn't actually be together right now, even though they, to some extent, have acknowledged that they're capable of, of connecting emotionally mm-hmm. like because they're just both too immature totally and agree. i think at that level of immaturity you need somebody who has a little more experience a little more maturity this is why i proposed i think last week that, that, brian, and that brian and sharon could actually work because because sharon could bring some of that maturity and perspective that would allow Brian to normalize a little bit in a relationship. Yeah. I don't think Jordan can do that for Angela. I think the problem is that on an emotional level, Angela is the more mature person in that relationship, but yeah. Angela is wildly immature, which yeah. means that their whole relationship is just so stunted on an emotional right. level yeah. that it's like hard to believe it'll go anywhere. Yeah. Um, because if she's the leader, yeah. <laughs> where the hell are they going? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I feel like Sharon and Brian are a good, a good possible combo. I mean, the problem is there's way more girls than than boys mm-hmm. on this show, so I like the imaginary pairings are difficult to oh, do yeah, for everybody yeah. because yeah. there's not enough for sure like plausible yep. <laughs> people to go around. But um, yeah, but I can imagine Angela and Brian, or Angela and someone like Brian, being a couple many years down the road. Yeah, like when exactly. she's like thirty. Sure, that could be a great partner for her. That, yeah, that kind of person. Hey, man, I would I would have been willing to give it to them in 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 university. I just don't think they would have gotten there in high school. Yeah, because um, they are now at the end of the series, the the least mature characters on the show, and they've both obviously they have developed a lot since we first met them. Like it's it's Brian especially. Yeah, Brian's for sure. Opened up. He's made friends. Yeah, he's like started to understand his own feelings and the feelings of others. Yeah. Like he's really actually come quite a long way. Yeah. And Angela is beginning to understand that, you know, <laughs> that the real world exists, the real world exists and is maybe a little bit more complex than her studiously overanalyzed internal narratives have suggested. Um, but the, again, I think we've said it before, but I'll say it again, the friend that she leaves behind before the very first episode, uh, much more developed, uh, intellectually and emotionally by the end of the season. Weirdly enough, the the, the friend that she leaves behind at the end of the season, Rayanne, mm-hmm. also develops enormously over the course of this. I mean, she's still got a great deal of work to do and a, a lot of problems that she will certainly need to sort out in the future. Yeah. But she um, she's come along. She's been through some stuff that I would hope suggests the beginning of some, some new insights and, and development for herself. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Do you find it weird that I genuinely care about Rayanne. Like, I hope that she's okay. She's not real. There's no Rayanne. And AJ Langer is a fucking duchess. <laughs> so, <laughs> so everything really turned out fine. But it's weird how I, I... This is another reason I never wanted to know about season two. It's like I have these, these internal narratives of my own relationships with these characters. And I don't want those to be betrayed. Yep. Yeah. I totally understand. 
So this will be the part of the episode where we read our real-life diaries, having just discussed that diary of our souls, My Civic Called Life. Uh, would you like to go first or shall I? Mine's, yeah. a, mine's a monster. <laughs> it's, really? It's big. Uh, what was the date? Remind me of the date. The I'm date was January 26th, 1995. All right. Maybe you should go first while I All right. find mine here. Okay. Here we go. 126.95 Thursday. One of those days, slept in, bummed around, and went to school. Ate lunch with Melina, and we reminisced about the good old days in grade 10 French. She said, which totally blew my mind, that back then, she thought I was a really nice guy and would have gone out with me. Then she noted that my code would have kept me from going out with her. If she'd asked around April, which was true, since it was all so cool, I gave her my hat, and she still has it. Uh, sat next to Rennie in bio, like that matters, but for some reason, when she offered to take my mark sheet up to the front, I melted. So cute. So cute. Anyway, period eight was the same old kick in the head, and then after school, I got a bit giddy. I think Amanda and Sandy did it to me, but anyway, I burned over to improv, and someone asked why I was so excited, and I replied, I'm madly in love. Well, Gabrielle caught that, so she was depressed for the whole rehearsal, which went well... Well, because after Mark left, I declared that I didn't really know anyone in the group and that we should bond, and bond we did. <laughs> Gabrielle got even more bummed out every time we started talking about love. So improv ends, and I ask Bo what the fuck is up with Gab. He confirms my fears and tells me to go talk to her. So feeling benevolent and needing an ego boost, this is important, guys, I do. We go to the cup, and I say that she can ask me any questions she wants except my middle name. So she acts typically grade 10 and stupid the whole time, and I answer quite eloquently every question that she asks because I'm trying to shine. And when she asked me if we were going to become friends because I, quote, intrigue her, more pretense, I asked her four questions, which were really very good. Question, do you like Star Trek? Her answer, <laughs> no. Question, what is your theory on the nature of the universe? Her answer, don't have one. Question, how do you feel about Robin Hood? Her answer, don't have any. Clearly, I've misremembered something here. Question, what is the difference between eyes and hair? Her answer, eyes are so much better and yours are incredible, by the way. So I like I, this girl. <laughs> right, yeah. So I left, leaving behind a folded up note that said, you can't know the facts till you know the fiction, and I know both. And finally, my so-called life ended. I am upset. I am more upset because after brilliant episodes about running away from home, homophobia, intolerance, drinking, and school stupidity, the final episode was a brilliant one about the only subject that no one's ever been too brilliant about. Love. Love. That's right. What the fuck, man? This is a doozy of an oh, entry. Oh, God. Let's there's talk. so many pieces here. So one of the weirdest things about this is that I actually remember this day. And I have a terrible memory, but I do remember this day. So um, the girl in question, Gabrielle, was much younger than me. I was, so I was in grade 13 at this point. She was in grade 10. We were on, on an improv team that, because of a decision by our drama teacher, was, I think, like 35 people large. Like she, she decided that auditions would not be fair for the improv team. So anyone who wanted to be on the improv team could. Right. Which is insane. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like it's actually crazy. But anyway, I was co-captain of the improv team and there was and there was this girl who was also, by the way, a huge fan of my so-called life and a huge fan of the X-Files and proposed what I still to this day think is the first time I ever heard a mashup idea that should have become a thing, which was she wanted to do a mashup called my so-called X-Files, where Angela and Scully are the same person, the redheaded female 
and and it's it's a X Files uh, MSCL crossover, which takes place in Liberty High, but where weird shit keeps happening. And I was like, basically, you invented Buffy. Like that's brilliant. That is such a good idea. <laughs> right, such a good idea. But anyway, she had. Wow, I would watch that show in, like right right now. now. And I, <laughs> I I to a very real extent, I feel like the the creative impulses of the next twenty years of my life were dictated by the concept of my so-called X-Files. Um, anyway, she was a very nice person. She had a crush on me. It did not go well <laughs> for reasons that you should be evident even here, <laughs> which is that I was not only a dick, but basically aware of what a dick I was being and kind of riding the high. Because not, like, like in, a, in, in the, the nice version of this would be what you said about Ricky and Delia, which is that stuff like this kind of never happened to me. So knowing that someone had a crush on me was a huge ego boost. And I didn't want to be with her. Probably should have. Didn't want to be with her. Um, couldn't let go of it either. Couldn't behave, you know, decently about it. So I just sort of, I wouldn't say toyed with her, but I wasn't being fair either. Right. You know? So it's this day with the, we. I basically had like a, group therapy session and improv that day because my co-captain mark was not there and i was just like fuck it let's just let's just hang out and talk so we kind of just talked about our lives and what was going on and then after that i did take her to the second cup the cup the cup the second cup and we had this conversation where she didn't you know i mean because why would she she didn't really admit what was going on or or what she wanted out of this interaction and i didn't admit until i left this little note that i knew what was going on and and yeah that's that. And then I went home and watched the last episode of my so-called life. Like I probably left. Like I was probably like literally like, uh, gotta go. My so-called life. <laughs> you know? like, it's, oh, I feel so badly about all of this. So did so you guys badly. like stay friends? What happened? No, we stayed. This, this scenario continued, I think for about another, like it continued after I left school because she was friends with some of my other friends and there was continued interaction and, and she, she continued to have a crush on she you? She continued or? to have a crush on me, and then she started kind of laying some stuff on me about how badly I'd hurt her and how terrible I was and what I, how I was an, a really not a good person and all these other things, which I don't know that I fully deserved that reaction. But again, like based on this, it's like, okay, I mean, I, I threw gasoline on a fire intentionally just to make myself feel better. So <laughs> fuck me, basically. Like I get what I get. Uh. Yeah. I just realized that uh, my entry f for uh, this episode mm -hmm. includes a dream that I had. Holy shit. Isn't that crazy? Holy shit. <laughs> I'm just glad that mine included uh, uh, some final so, thoughts on my so-called Yeah, life. that's it's, beautiful. Everything is so circular today. Uh, it's great. All right. It. let's. Uh, did you have any other questions about mine? Or we? I mean, uh, I mentioned a lot of different people there. <laughs> yeah, I kind of just want you to unpack the whole thing. <laughs> uh, Amanda and Sandy make their final entrance uh, appearance in our, in our series here as... Uh, well, you never know they might yeah. make an appearance oh yeah at the i mean we don't show. we don't actually know what we're reading at the live show so yeah. really who knows what what's gonna happen there <laughs> um but yeah that's i couldn't when i when i opened this up to read it i couldn't believe what i was gonna have to read it's like <laughs> oh god <laughs> uh, yeah teenage boys especially introverted teenage boys who have not had normalizing experiences with women they're bad <laughs> i don't recommend them I say that as one of them. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, yours. All right, here we go. Uh, dear journal. 
that's very formal yeah I don't, you don't usually do that do that but hey dear journal on friday uh rupa and i got high again and rupa and jeff did again last night i opted not to uh i feel like i should be writing more emotional things in my diary but i also want to keep track of events and times and such maybe i'll try both from now on at jeff's place last night we all called the night exchange all kinds of really gross people left us messages some um guy wanted to wanted me to tell him that his voice turned me on Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh anyway i said that my name was laura you know laura palmer (laughs) nice um i feel like i'm spiraling down i'm on the downward spiral in fact i feel like i need an energy transplant or maybe some sort of funky zen thing i'm thinking if i don't stop goofing off and skipping school i'll never raise my marks or get into university or anything but you know maybe i can do it all get high and study and not skip and as long as i do all my homework uh maybe i should just go and do that right now Oh my God, I'm turning into a stereotype high school pothead. Ugh, it can't be. Anyway, back to reality. I had the craziest dream last night that I was in India with Rupa and some people I didn't know. We were staying with her grandma. There were bugs everywhere and this cockroach with concentric circles in shades of brown for wings was making a cocoon on the ceiling. Also, we had to swim through a river to get somewhere. Crazy stuff. Anyway, if she goes to India this summer, I'm totally going to go with her. See, I have to. It was meant to be. Wow. <laughs> I'm so glad that uh, Rupa featured in your final entry. Since yeah. She's kind of been nice. She's uh, like, she, I mean, she was my best friend and her family was from India. Yeah. Um, and she probably did go to India that summer. I don't remember, yeah. but um, I did not go with her. No. <laughs> I, you may have mentioned this when she first appeared, but are you and Rupa still friends? We are not. We're like occasionally in touch. Like okay. she's um, sort of on Facebook, but never actually logs into Facebook. And we... Like, she came to my wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeez, have I met Rupa? I may have met you Rupa. You might have met her at my yeah. wedding. Yeah. Um, she is, uh, she's really hilarious. We we got together and had coffee, like, a couple of years ago. Um, and she dug up her old high school diary where we would write, like, our deep thoughts when we were high, which is uh. so funny. And so we had a great laugh and uh, and caught up a little bit. And I haven't talked to her, actually, in, in a while. But, uh, yeah, we, like... We're not really in touch, but we periodically get back in touch mm. here and there in the way that is easier now that the internet exists. Right. Um, yeah. Cool. <laughs> I should definitely get in touch with her and uh, see if she wants to catch up and come to our live show. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's what I should do. Because <laughs> I, I just found out last night that my friend Amanda, who is featured heavily in these entries, will not probably be able to attend the live oh. show, which is too bad. She is still going to try to make it if she can. Um, but it like, and I wouldn't, it's not like I would have dragged her up on stage, but like there would have been something very fitting about that person being there, given how much I've talked to her, talked about her in this uh, process. What about Sandy? For Rupa. I don't know about Sandy. I'm going to try to find out, but I, I think Sandy, based on what's happened here, might just find that a little bit too weird. <laughs> frankly, <laughs> I wouldn't blame her. I'd be fine with that. Um, so yeah. So yeah, live show, guys, October 22nd, 2016, here in Toronto. If you. If it's mid-2018 and you've just discovered that there's a My So-Called Life podcast called My So-Cast Life and you're catching up on the episodes, it's too late. You can't come to the live show. Uh, yeah. But we will post. You can probably still find us on Twitter, but. Probably, uh, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. If we Twitter will post, still exists if in 2018. If any of us still exist in 2018, <laughs> podcasts. Um, we'll post, obviously, the audio from the live show uh, as our final episode uh, after we do that. 
uh, at the Modern Superior Network. But because, you know, who knows what's going to happen that night, we might as well just say it right now. Thank you so much for doing all of this, coming along, listening to us, being our listeners, being our my so-called life listeners. Um, we we really appreciate it. Yeah, and it's, it's been, been a really lot of fun. really fun. Yeah, and very eye-opening about a show that I thought was I knew everything about. Like I thought I had all of my my so-called life thoughts already. <laughs> so to have all these new ones was fascinating. Do you think we should do this again in like twenty years? Whoa! You know, yes, like another twenty years, and just sort of see if the viewpoint has evolved. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> totally. Let's make a date to do cool. that. Cool. <laughs> I also want to thank everyone at the Modern Superior Network for hosting us there. Uh, there are obviously a lot of wonderful shows that you can uh, listen to. Flight School, which is about TV pilots, you can listen to See You Next Wednesday. Uh, there are some, uh, Super Zero, my other podcast, is occasionally still popping up over there. And there are some new projects coming in the new year, some of which may or may not feature me. <laughs> so, you know, we'll see. There you go. Cool. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you. of the Modern Superior Media Network. 